Thank you for joining Reframe Your Life. This is episode 124, and Patty and I are here with Kate Flanders today. We're really looking forward to bringing you this interview. Kate is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Year of Less, described by Vogue as a fascinating look into a living experiment that we can all learn from. It's been translated into 10 languages and sold more than 190,000 copies. So well done, Kate. Her new book, Adventures in Opting Out, is a field guide to opting out of expectations, changing paths, and leading a more intentional life. Powell's book says it, offers a sturdy and flexible framework to navigate whatever path you are currently on. Kate's story has been shared in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Globe and Mail, Oprah.com, Treehugger, Forbes, and more. She always has an adventure in the calendar and believes in leaving every place better than she found it. She's from Victoria, BC, Canada. Patty. I get to talk about the book and welcome Kate officially. In this Kate Flanders 2020 memoir from Little Brown Spark, she shows us how to opt out of expectations and live a more intentional life. It's a follow-up to her first book, as Sandy mentioned, The Year of Less, published by Hay House in 2018. We all follow our path in life, or do we? Kate Flanders draws our attention to where the messages come from that we use to make our life choices and the who or what is giving us the rule book we were unaware of for too long. Many of us are doing either what is expected of us or following the invisible but well-worn paths that we trust will lead us to a culturally accepted uh, destination. For some, though, those paths are fine. They're even great. They leave some of us feeling disconnected, though, from ourselves and what we really want. When that discomfort finally outweighs the fear of trying something new, we're ready to opt out. And this is where Kate steps in. Kate found there was an incredible parallel between taking a different path in life and the psychological work it takes to summit a mountain, especially when you decide to go solo. In Adventures in Opting Out, she offers a trail map to help you with both. And as you'll see, reaching the first viewpoint can be easy. From there, you get a glimpse of what you're walking toward. Climbing to the summit for the full view, also completely worth it. But the space in between, that distance on the climb, between two peaks, for example, you enter a world completely unknown to you. That's the most difficult part of the path to navigate. With Kate Flanders' guidance and advice drawn from her own journey and the stories of others, you'll have all the encouragement and insight you need to take a path less traveled and live a more intentional life. Welcome, Kate Flanders. We're so looking forward to this. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me and thank you for reading that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, reading your bio in the back of the book. It's, it's um, almost intimidating and overwhelming, but I think that there's so much in here for our listeners today. And we have had this tradition recently. It's a new tradition for all of us because it's our first pandemic, of asking our guests what we call the COVID question. And so I wanted to ask you, you wrote this book to document, or most of it seems to take place around 2019. And you mentioned in the book that you had no idea what your life was going to look like after you wrote the book going forward. But your intention was to continue traveling and uh, living in this um, opting out, opted out way. How have you reframed opting out as a result of the pandemic? Oh my gosh, that's a great question or like a great way to look at it. <clears throat> um, I think like everyone in the first few days or like first week of when, when we were told, especially in Canada, I think it was like March 12th or 13th that Justin Trudeau came on and said like airports are closed um, stay home, work from home. And it, and it was very serious. Um, I was certainly feeling the collective anxiety that everybody was. Um, I also did have a flight booked to Europe a few weeks later right. and I was supposed to go back and I would have spent probably most of the rest of the year there. And it was interesting. I, I wasn't too upset about canceling that. Um, but I had to tell myself, like, my anxiety was so high those first few days. We actually were finishing the last rounds of, like, copy edits to the book. 
And my anxiety was so high. I'm sitting there thinking like, how dare we release this book this year? Like, how dare we talk about intentional living when people are dying? Like, it was just this extreme, like these two extreme thoughts. Like, how dare I do that? And and so had some great conversations with my publisher, which was really helpful. Um, but then for myself personally, I had to say to myself, I have to be okay with the fact that I could be here, here being in Victoria at my dad's house. Yeah, I have to be okay with the fact that I could be here, let's say for 12 to 18 months. I have to get to a place where I'm okay with that. Right. It is not the path that I chose. And I definitely think that there's something certainly also that traveling teaches you, which is just that, <clears throat> which is just that you really like, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to go f- with the flow because even the, the most planned out trip is never going to go to plan. Yeah. And And I just had to say, like, I have to be okay with this. And it is only when I get okay with this that I will be able to handle this year. Because if I keep sitting here and and think, like, in two weeks it'll be better, in a month it'll be better, and it never happens, um, I'm going to be causing my own suffering. So I need to just make it that 2020 up to, let's say, halfway through 2021. I have to be okay with the fact that this is my reality and that I just need to figure out what does life look like here. Right. And did you get okay with the how dare you part? How dare we release a book about intentional living when folks are having such a a struggle to live, et cetera? How did you make peace with that? And how did your publisher feel about that? Did you you contemplate extending the release? A lot of books did extend their release into 2021 and still now are going to face the same challenges in second lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. So um, right off the bat, when I talked to my editor and agent about it, they both said, listen, we are in very early days of this and we do not know what this is going to look like. So because we were still about six, like just over six months out from release, (coughs) sorry, because we were just over six months out from release, we just said, like, we'll see, we'll send it to print. It's not going to hurt if it's printed and if we don't release it quite yet. Right. So let's let's just send it off and and as time gets closer if it doesn't feel okay then we don't have to um but what was interesting was that um it was sort of like i I don't know it took time for me to get okay with it but i was starting to hear it from others so whether it was my publisher my agent or just people i was having conversations with i'd kind of share the idea of the book with someone and they would just say wow what a great time for that to come out i was like Right. Is it? Like, right. And I was like, well, the, the one thing that is happening is that for those who haven't been too drastically impacted by COVID, other than sort of we're all stuck at home, we're not seeing people as much, we have been put into sort of like a great pause. I've seen some people call it, and people mm-hmm. are sitting with themselves and their feelings for perhaps the first time ever. Um, or just the first time in a very long time where they're not moving at the pace that they normally do and just going with the flow. And they are sitting around and asking questions like, what do I want life to look like on the other side of this? Or, or as we can and shift out and do things a little differently, what do I want Mm. that to look like? And people are actually like, yes, of course, we've got this sort of body of rules that we're supposed to be living by, but how do you navigate your way through that? And, and I think people are understanding that, Like we're all going to have to make our own decisions of how we do exit this. Right. I'm so glad you said that, you know, I, and I haven't, I hadn't thought about it this way. And of course we've heard um, people saying, you know, book sales are up. Of course, my agent always reminds me that it's not just book sales that up. It's also puzzle books and coloring books and kids at home books, uh, school books, all those things are, are selling, but you know, you hear those things. But what I've noticed is interesting is the uptick in people who are writing books now. And this has to be related to what you've just said. And I'm, I'm, so glad you did say it because as we move into next year and I have so many author friends whose books were they thought at the time happily put off to a 2021 delivery mine wasn't and yours wasn't mine was already printed too Um, they thought oh that'll be good by by this time that'll all be over and in fact there is no over so to speak right and I'm glad you said that And in a contemplative time we need nonfiction books and memoir perhaps even more yeah I'm glad you said it that way Yeah, definitely. And what you just described to me, it actually sounds like you've just taken a lot of the 
lessons that you talk about in the book and applied it to your experience right now you know like not plan over planning not doing a lot of you're doing a lot of the things that you've learned and which I think is good for people to think about when they're considering reading your book that this book isn't just for people who want to opt out and travel that right. there's mm. opting out means a lot of things and I think we should mm -hmm. dive into some of this content Absolutely. You know, it steps into something that I highlight and I was thrilled to see right up front in your book. And I've mentioned to you uh, off camera the connection to my friend and the podcast's friend, Steph Jagger. When Steph Jagger's book Unbound came out, I remember us having many conversations about how differently her book could be placed in the genre of adventure or let's not even place it in a genre, but how differently positioned it could be than say Wild or Eat, Pray, Love or any of the books that it was being compared to at the time. And she self-consciously said, here I am a woman who chose to ski around the world. I was not driven by pain, nor was I running from trauma, nor was I going to heal. And I loved that right up front in your book, you said, listen, it does not have to be about pain that we decide to opt out. We don't have to change the scripts in our lives because something has provoked a massive pivot for us. And I thought that welcoming gesture in the beginning of your book meant that your reader could be just about anyone, as Sandy said, you don't have to be looking for opting out. You can just be exploring what next. I love that or the way that you've connected that. Um, it also just makes me think it was always in hindsight, like you, you have some thoughts when you're writing something. <laughs> but, you um, do? Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> but something that's come up in hindsight is, is, or maybe it's just deepened in hindsight is the fact that actually when you, when you are in a position where you're making a decision, not out of like a deep unhappiness or um, something negative that has sparked it, but you are really choosing it, that is more intentional. And it also is something you will likely stick with for a longer period of time because it is coming from this healthier place of I'm actually okay. Like I'm okay, but there is something else that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. And if you are willing, like if you are, are willing to take a chance on yourself, if you love yourself enough also to, to make decisions that come from that place, right? Um, that to me is like, of course it will last longer and, and, or just provide, um, like more meaningful or more, more depth, uh, not more depth experiences, more meaningful experiences or more depth uh, in the process. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, I love that you are re looking at your book and seeing things that you um, just different nuances almost there of the lessons and the things that you wrote about. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that came up a lot in your book, and it's something that resonates with me is the idea or the fear that people have of disappointing people or what people will think if they follow their own choices and follow their own path. And I was wondering what has really worked for you and what works for you because I think that's a common fear that people have when they think about opting out or making a change and not even um, a big change in their life I think there's a lot of that going on right now when we're trying to figure out how we think and what we feel about COVID and where we sit in the in the whole scheme of are we really feeling paranoid and buying into some of the conspiracy stuff or are we thinking it's nothing to be worried about and there's always underlying that this this like what are other people thinking about our stance or our thoughts and I'm just curious from your perspective what has helped you get past that worry of what other people think about your decisions oh my gosh I think <clears throat> early days nothing helped <laughs> and saying that just to be really honest, like in the early days, it really hurt my feelings. If someone disagreed with me, if someone, it seemed like they were judging me or just they weren't seeing me and understanding me, that all really hurt. Yes. Um, and I, it just feels important to not, I don't know, like for me to not sugarcoat that because I'm, let's say like the first or the biggest opt-out I've done for myself was to decide to stop drinking. That was in 2012. So that was eight years ago. And it's easy for me now to give the, the answer that is, that I can, I will share next. 
but it's that's a different one this is a different one that comes from perspective and, and years of looking back so looking back i have to say that it was just really hard um i think one of the biggest things that has helped is with time and perspective seeing that most of the time what people are saying is literally just what they're thinking and so it's actually has nothing to do with you and they're expressing what their own concerns would be mm-hmm. so if if they seem judgmental if they seem even disappointed it's because they couldn't imagine taking the action sometimes even just right. saying the words out loud that you are saying like right. they can't imagine it and that it, again like it's it's not always easier it can still take time sometimes like to hear to take someone's words in and have to process and say okay this is just their own perspective their own mindset and process that they would be going through right. if they were in my position so that that has definitely been one of the the biggest things that i'd say like eight eight plus years of sort of being a little different um or living a little differently than my family and friends do right has, living yeah. a little differently it's a great way to put it isn't it i hear the self-compassion in that of the mm. um so I, I sort of have a two-part question about that self-compassion being the follow-up but for the listeners who haven't read the book and you mentioned one thing that has been an opt-out for you and i don't want you to have to sort of you know give away but no, no. mention mention for the folks listening what are some of the ways you've opted out and your life now does look a little different than those of your friends and family yeah, so I think there have been some very small ones along the way. So everything from um, deciding to stop eating meat, so becoming a vegetarian, you would think that's not a big deal. But also if you grew up in a household of meat eaters, or just the majority of people still eat meat, it, it sure. can still come up in, in, I mean, things we're not really doing now, but like gatherings, dinners, stuff like that. Like you are then an extra person who requires, or you're a person who then requires extra consideration and, and questions and, and yeah. So something as small as that. Um, I'd say also things like deciding not to use social, uh, certain social media platforms anymore. Mm -hmm. So I used to Mm -hmm. be on everything and then very slowly have cut it back. So I only use Instagram now. And again, that seems very small, but if the majority of people are still on Facebook, there's stuff that can come up with that. Okay. Um, bigger ones have been, you know, obviously not drinking is one. Um, I'd say career stuff was big. I grew up in a government town. Victoria is like the diehard government town. And I grew up with two parents who worked for the government. And the story I was always told was get in the government, do your 35 years, you retire with your pension and you're, you're solid. And there was actually a path that I could see that would work for that or that I was kind of interested in. Um, but I also dealt with a recession and years worth of a hiring freeze afterwards that just made it kind of impossible to move around and even begin any of that. So then the opportunity came to leave my government job for the private sector and actually move across the country. I moved to Toronto to work for it. Uh, But that was big, especially I was 20, I think 26, maybe 27. And, and oddly, like, I mean, now I would be so comfortable with it, but back then I had a really hard time even thinking of telling my family that, like that I was going to leave the government I'm, I'm now in my 30s. I'm almost laughing at myself being like, <laughs> this is like not a big deal. But it was so impressed upon me that this is what you do. And also even friends who were like, they would die to work for the government and they right. still hadn't gotten in. Right. And so you have this sense of, I should just be grateful for what I have. Like, well, how dare I want more or different when like, I have something that people really want. Yes. Um, so yeah, government or work stuff. I mean, eventually leaving the private sector to work for myself was terrifying. Um, and then also, uh, well, I guess I, we, what the year of less is about, you know, the, a year long experiment where I didn't buy anything. That was an experiment. So it was a temporary opt out, but it was uh, still very isolating in a lot of ways when the whole world shops and you don't for one year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep. And and then obviously like giving up my my place to travel full time for 2019 that was right. um that yeah that was huge that was huge 
I asked about the self-compassion because other people now are listening to this and they're gasping saying, oh, I could never, oh, I could Mm. never give up meat. I could never give up coffee. Okay, that one's mine. But uh, the self-compassion I wondered, I'll step into this question in another way. You, I loved, I think it's on page 33, I actually messaged Sandy about this and said, look at this fabulous list of questions people might be asking themselves. If you're asking asking yourself or feeling these things, uh, there's a chance that opting out is in your future. I wondered then, is there a similar list that you would offer people self-compassion for, to encourage them to be compassionate to themselves for if... If it's not working out, if they're changing their mind, if they want to backstep. Mm. Oh and I wonder, gosh. where's the self-compassion for that? I'm not asking you to say about yours, offer freely if there was something you stepped back on. But my own humanity said to me, what would I say to myself if the opt-out wasn't working out? Is there, mm. what, what do we do with the self-compassion around that? And can we get, be compassionate with ourselves? Because when we've voiced it and we've taken rejection and judgment from others around this, we've stood our ground, we feel pretty firmly entrenched with our decision. And I wonder then how we backpedal, back, back out rather than opt yeah. yeah, I think, um, well, I have a couple of different thoughts on it. Like the first is, is to, I try now to start pretty much everything as as an experiment Mm -hmm. so that's like added into it like it is then okay if this is not working out or just if something needs to shift right like if I've taken on too much and I'm I'm trying too fast to at this like I'm just doing too much like I've bitten off way more than I can chew of this and I should have taken slower or baby like smaller steps into this um so yeah the idea of experimenting is makes it so it's built right in so that it it is then a learning opportunity and it's not um, a choice that you make for life. I also think that that is something I try to live by now, which is that just because you decide something doesn't mean you have to decide it forever. I think that, that also like, that's a self-compassion thing, but that is also a thing to give to others, like to Mm -hmm. practice for others, which is that, if someone makes the decision, let's literally use something as simple as I'm going to be a vegetarian. If in two years your friend decides that they're going to eat meat again, okay. Right. Like have zero questions about it. Cool. Right. Good for you. Yes. Like it, it actually doesn't matter. You don't need to fit them into the box of vegetarian and like how dare they go back to eating meat. But this is actually the thing that we do to people. Yes. Like it's, right. Like we just so clearly want something like to identify as something and put them in this box. And that's how I know you. And you've made that choice. And that is your choice for life. How about no? Like, how about right. it's actually just okay if, if, if you don't feel like it anymore? Or yeah, like the list of reasons for that doesn't even need to exist. Like, if you're just yes. like, okay, great, cool, you're doing what's right for you. Awesome. I think that um, when you're saying that, I was thinking about that idea of for now, you know, like I'm not eating meat for now. And that whole idea, because we do tend to be so black and white, we're so like all or nothing. I've talked to a, a number of friends about this, like, you know, we, we don't do moderation well. So mm. we tend to do like, I'm in or I'm out. I'm, mm. you know, I'm, uh, you know. I'm sh- I don't eat sugar or I do eat sugar because it's it's almost like we can't moderate in our lives very well so we we end up in these you know in or out in so many areas in our life and I want to segue a little bit because I think um the metaphor that you used in your book of the path mm-hmm. kind of goes with this conversation for me and you talk in several places about the path and um at one point you talked about Um, feeling like you were on the right path and then you talked about making sure the path is right for you in another place and then somewhere else you talked about um, that there are multiple paths that we can take and when I was reading it it was it really stuck with me because I was thinking in general the path is the way we get to our destination the path we're on and uh, I think what you're talking about is traveling in a way that that honors who you are on this path but maybe there's not even a real destination i don't know i just i wanted you to expand on that a little bit yeah i think i i would definitely agree with that at least where i'm at 
at so far in this journey. I'm like, I can't imagine that at some point I'm going to settle down and never be curious again. Right. Right. Like I think that so much of what, what I've been doing, of course, some of them have been a little more serious than others. Like deciding to not drink anymore was, that's a very clear, this is better for me. And so that is that is a piece of me that will follow all the paths wherever they go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I look at all kinds of things. Like even that year that I got to travel for 2019, of course, I'd love to travel more in the future. I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't know how this year is going to shape it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know how what that's going to look like or what. But, but probably my ideas of it. Uh, even from a year ago, have probably already shifted a little bit hmm. this year. And and that very much being like, I, I just think that all of it though comes from like, I'm curious. I'm curious about these experiences. I'm curious, like it truly is an experimentation thing in, in so many other ways beyond just, I'm going to try this thing for a period of time. I'm right. almost like the other side of that being like, I'm so curious now what happens if, what happens if I try X. What happens right. if I don't do this thing for a bit? And I just can't imagine that there's ever going to be a day where I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where it, it leads me other than the day that I'm no longer here. But I have to think I'll probably be, I don't know, messing around with my life in all kinds of ways <laughs> until then. That's <laughs> yeah, so true. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of metaphor. You know, I, I love the path metaphor. It's a different Um, it's a different kind of metaphor though when we start to see you on a mountain thinking about the view and I Mm -hmm. love that you're trying to remind us to be in the present not the future that it is that it is the the view that you have now at base camp or whichever stage of the mountain or the hike you're at Uh, we'll get into your book structure later which is so provocative and but it is the view and it is the present and it is a restatement of that classic what is the classic one that it's about the journey not the destination Mm, and in mm -hmm. fact literally for you it's about the climb not the peak and uh, I love that reminder and uh, that will stay with me for quite some Mm. time that the view from here is beautiful the view from up there will be fantastic but like I said in the intro it's that space in between that really defines the way we spend our lives and we should so much more be celebrating the fact that we have a view right now that is beautiful Mm mm-hmm I'm looking at all my questions, Kate, and thinking, and then looking at the clock and thinking, oh, um, I want to go into just a conversation that is something that personally I've thought a lot about, and I appreciated that you wrote about in your book, and it's the idea of slow travel. Mm. And one of my least popular newsletters and Instagram posts was on the idea of rethinking travel in my life because of the impact on the environment and um, I received a lot of negative feedback from people and it's it's something in my age group uh, where people tend to be um, child-free don't have kids at home you know it's that classic I'm you know we have good health and for some people, lots of vacation weeks and all of that. And travel is just a big thing. It's almost like a badge of how much travel we do that people wear. And when you brought it up, I was like, oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Where are you now with that? That whole idea of slow travel. I mean, we're seeing firsthand. I even just read an article today about it. The the um, positive impact that the reduction of tourism is having on the environment in Europe and I'm just thinking how do we go back to that how do we like ignore that reality now that we've actually seen what's happening yeah I think that I don't know there's this part of me that that I don't know I'd love to be like have a more optimistic thought on it but there's part of me that thinks that when it's safe a whole lot of people are going to be getting on planes yeah. Right. And a whole lot of people are going to be planning their first vacations or many vacations mm-hmm. yes. um, as a result of this. And yeah, I mean, for me, I would say that slow travel will it, like for any travel that I do end up doing, slow travel will be the way that it goes. And it's not just because it's more sustainable, but be- it is. It is so much more sustainable 
Um, that's also a position that I'm in right now where I can do that. Like I, because especially I don't have a home base and I work for myself, right. I can pick a random city and book an Airbnb or some kind of long-term stay for three months, four months. And I can just stay in one spot, um, get to know that city very well. Um, also be contributing like to that local economy, like in a, in a way that you would if you lived there, not just in a way that a tourist would. Mm -hmm. um, it is so much more sustainable, but it's also just better for my mental health. I just do not do well when I'm bouncing around quickly. Right. Um, and it's taken a, I've done so many short trips now that I've figured that out or a couple of long ones that I've just moved way too quickly. And it just like the burnout yeah. and true sense of like feeling lost and um, like not anchored. Yeah. Like I had no anchor point. It does yes. not do well for me. So things I know about myself now are just that I need routine. I need some structured. Um, and it, I actually really like getting to know a city, even if at the end of it, you're like, well, I don't know if I'd go back here, but it I've was seen it. really yes. interesting to get to know this place. Yeah. And how often we see, we have heard in times pre-COVID, how, how frequently did any of us here, folks, speak about a trip, particularly business travel, where it's, oh, you were where? That must have been fabulous. And their reply is always, well, I didn't really see it. I saw it from mm. the window of a cab or the window of my hotel. And that heartbreak for me and also the privilege of that has always really been off-putting. And I'm a city lover, so I like to put down in a place for those extra days and just wander around and and feel it but part of it is the mental health of not having that quick turnaround so you don't know where you've been I mean that's that's not my idea of travel that's mm -hmm. not my idea of experience either and I think your book speaks beautifully to that again about um, going at things slowly and you do say this right up front in the book don't you that we make these opting out choices more slowly when they're more intentional. And as you've mm -hmm. said here, they last longer. And I, I love that that's also true of your travel decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I didn't, um, I didn't talk enough about my time in Wales in the book, but like I spent four full months there other than I guess about two weeks away. And I still dream about it. Like, oh, and, and I can just sit here right now and remember the streets that I walked every single day. Right. And the, like how it smelled in the coffee shop. And yeah, I'm like that kind of stuff. I've never remembered from a quick trip. I've never remembered like, what was it like to go to San Francisco for two nights? I, I right. don't know. Actually probably right. awful. <laughs> Like yeah. actually probably most of it was awful <laughs> right? or may maybe I had a good meal and good coffee and that was about it mm -hmm. um yeah but you didn't really know the place we've that's been a theme in our podcast with a lot of uh, the authors that we've interviewed is about place and when you slow travel I think there's yeah. in within that is that honoring the place and getting to know the place and and connecting with it in a deeper way mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, really well said. Do you think this is a good time to take a break and ask you to read for us, Kate? I had something else in mind, but I actually, no, well, it could lead out of it. I'll read the intro to the fourth section of the book. Okay. While there's no set amount of time you will be in the valley, as soon as you finish navigating your way through it, you will find yourself staring up at the slope. Technically speaking, a slope is simply the side of a mountain. Some mountains have gentle slopes, which offer easy, gradual climbs. Other mountains have steep slopes, which might include sections you need to scramble up or might even require special equipment. Whenever I'm opting out, the slope typically looks steep, but has what are known as switchbacks, a path that zigzags back and forth with hairpin turns. Switchbacks are carved out to help a steep climb feel more gradual, but can, it can take a lot of motivational pep talks to complete them and get yourself up to the summit. What makes this final ascent more manageable is that you've essentially been training for it throughout the process of opting out. Your first ascent up to the viewpoint taught you how to slowly ease into the journey rather than try to take on too much and hurt yourself or hurt your chances of staying on this new path. It also taught you how to embrace an adventurous mindset 
follow your curiosity and walk through life with a new sense of wonder. You discovered you don't have to complete a perfect opt-out because there is no perfect way to change paths in life. The whole thing can simply be a learning experience. Following that, the important, albeit uncomfortable, downhill hike and work you did in the valley stretched your muscles and built up your strength and resilience. You might have stumbled a little bit or lost your way and even forgotten what you were doing and why. You might have also struggled to communicate with some of the people in your life or started to feel as though you were losing them. None of this was easy. But the valley is also where you paused so you could avoid spiraling and it reminded you of what you're working toward. You might have changed direction slightly or rerouted altogether, but in the end, you self-guided your way through the challenges and now you're here. While everything you've done so far might be both beautiful and painful to look back on, I would encourage you to keep the lessons you've learned in your back pocket right now. You'll need quick access to them while you're hiking up the slope. That's not to say the slope is going to be equally painful because it won't be. If anything, I like to think of the slope as a period of time when you get to set your own pace and finally see what life can be like when you're on this new path. It's the time to settle in and enjoy yourself. This part of your opt-out will still come with questions and challenges. The higher you climb, the further you will walk away from everyone who confronted you in the valley. Unless they've decided to join you, you're going to put more distance between you and anyone who didn't fully support you, and you will feel it. The good news is that if you're open to it, you're going to cross paths with some incredible new people on the slope. You will also continue to build upon existing friendships and relationships with people who might not have been front and center before. People who understand what you're trying to do and who will hold out their hands to help you get where you want to go. Yeah, there's a little more, but I'll stop there. That's lovely, thank you. Mm -hmm. The structure, this begs the structure question and I'm, this is always the geek question that I ask because book structure, especially with memoir fascinates me and how was that born? Because early in the book, you admit to us, you have a couple of confessions and the second confession is I wasn't very adventurous growing up even though I grew up in a beautiful, very uh, place, a place that is quite known for adventure, right? On Vancouver Island. Yeah. So the structure for the book, can you place all that into some context for us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the structure became, came before anything else, which <laughs> sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't, but it really came before anything else. And the way that I noticed it was, um, like, first, there were a bunch of things on my mind based on the year of less coming out and sort of interviews and events that I had done for my first book. I noticed that uh, there were a lot of questions that people were asking me around. Now, this is literally based off of like shopping ban, maybe drinking too, but mostly the shopping ban. There were a lot of questions about if I had lost anyone along the way. Yeah. Like if I had lost any friends, if I had lost any family, if my connections or kind of my social life had changed. Um, it seemed to be like at first I noticed it was mostly women maybe in their 30s and 40s asking that and then as it time went on like it was just everybody everybody seemed to have this question when you decide to do something differently like literally what happens like what happens yeah. to your friendships and connections yeah. I did not like my early answers which was uh, not that they were dishonest it was just they were very sugar-coated it was you know, like, yeah, you know, some things change or you might have to suggest that you guys do other things together, but like most people will go like get on board and they'll do that. Um, and like, that's, that's mostly true, mostly, but uh, like, I did not like my answer. And I, and I noticed it after the first four or five um, events that I did in particular, like doing it in person yeah. where I just thought after like, like the answer is actually so much more complicated but it is that yeah you are going to lose people yes. you are going to lose people and it does not matter how simple the opt-out is over time like it may not happen right away but over time you changing like making one decision to do something differently oh yeah th that is going to come with other changes mm -hmm. right and i also look at this as an example of like show me a relationship that ended that didn't revolve or didn't also include other relationships ending or changing. Exactly. Right? Like I, I don't like, so just look at it in, in other examples that it always happens that way. Like train change comes with more change. It just does. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. but no one was talking about it certainly not in sort of like the minimalism space like no one's going to give you hard complicated answers in that space because it's not um easily digestible or easily sellable yeah right like it's they want the yeah you're going to declutter and your life's going to be amazing (laughs) that that is the thing to sell um and so no one's going to talk about that space but I also then thought about it like I don't know that I've really even seen this in self-help books in general I feel so often it's sort of like here is uh here's a problem here's my solution for it here are some steps to to do it but no one talks about like the actual human things that are going to happen when you decide to be different and, and even with adventures, I'm like, I can't tell you everything that's going to happen, but even if this one can then be a starter for other books, or for like more conversations, yes. we just need to be talking more about the hard parts that right. a lot changes when you make one simple change. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and so from there, um, like, I mean, all of that had been kind of going on in my head. So where the full analogy came from was there is actually um, a small mountain that's about a five or seven minute walk from my dad's house. So I, I grew up next to it. And actually, (laughs) as you've said, I uh, was not very adventurous as a kid. So even that I did not go hiking on that mountain when I was a kid, there are a lot of like lower trails that are very flat. I I did those a lot. I rode my bike through there, um, but I did not hike up. Um, I, yeah, I could go into a long explanation of sort of how non-adventurous I was. And even <laughs> this year, like stuff I'm learning more, I've, I've done a lot of therapy this year and not to talk about the, the analogy or anything like that, but stuff has come up for me of like people pleasing and perfectionism. And so there's all these things that have been going on of, that add to why I was not very adventurous as a kid. But now as an adult, I do hike. I started hiking actually maybe a little bit before, but definitely I got more serious about it when I stopped drinking. And uh, I, I don't know, I was out by myself. This is literally, I'm talking like a 20 to 25 minute up hike. Like it is not hard. Yeah. It's, it's quick and then it's over. And, and you're, you'll be sweating, but like, it's not long. Like you can be home within an hour. <laughs> and, but I noticed for the first time how many times I was telling myself that I wanted to quit and that over and over the script in my head is um, you could just stop. No one would know. No one even knows I'm here right now. So no one would know that I was giving up. Uh, I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I don't have anyone to answer to. Like, I really don't want to do this. And then I would have to do the other voice of, you have like five minutes left. Like, just go. Like, just just finish it. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that physically you cannot do this today. Like, so I would, I, was, I would bounce back and forth between this. And I just thought, it was the first time I'd really noticed it and thought, no one would know that this is what hiking is like for me. Right. Like, I think everyone would just have this assumption that I love the outdoors. Like, I do. I love, I love being in nature. <laughs> But I think they would just assume that that means I love hiking. I love all the physical exertion. I love all of that. And, assumptions, right? And I just assumptions. don't. And, and I thought, <laughs> I, well, I don't, don't. I don't like all of that stuff. <laughs> I like when it's over. <laughs> I like the endorphins. <laughs> yes. Like I love how I feel afterwards. I do love the view. I do, I do practice mindfulness a lot when I'm, um, we'll say more on the flatter trails. <laughs> Maybe not when you so can much. breathe, you yeah. mean? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's a perfect moment for me to say, like, I love your humanity, Kate. I love that this is not a book where you make it ever sound easy, where you ever say you should do this. This is not a book about shoulding. This is not a book about compulsions. This is a book about listening to a voice uh, deep within us at a slow and steady rate, possibly a voice that mm-hmm. has been hearkening to you for attention for some period of time. And I felt through the book that that was also something that was important to whoever your editors were, that they stick with this, not the journey metaphor, because I didn't see there was anything even typical in your your content that way. It was somebody encouraged your book to stay true to you. And Mm. I wondered what 
what from a publishing perspective you can tell us about that little piece because lots of aspiring writers and and love reader reading lovers obviously on our podcast but for the aspiring writers you know you had to also stay the course with not one but two books and those are things that everybody wants to quit even if you are a writer <laughs> it is tough mm -hmm. agonizing going and from what i know you wrote at least one possibly two proposals which as sandy knows because she's grew up grinding through one now this is not for the faint of heart so i saw your climbing metaphor there as well and maybe you could speak to that about who were you before who then decides to write not just one but two books very close together. And how did you stay the course with that? Well, what was the, the, the voices on either shoulder saying to you then? Oh my gosh. I'm, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I'm really excited to. Um, so I will say, I've talked about this a little bit before, but the thing with the year of less is that that like the best way I can reflect on it now is that feels like a book I was allowed to write. Nice. So I had been, I had documented my shopping ban on my blog. And when that was over, um, I had done an interview with Forbes, the website about it. And they'd sort okay. of did this full feature and the dollar amounts and numbers and just everything. And when it came out, the writer sent me an email saying, just FYI, these features have had a tendency to go viral. And I did not know what she meant i'm just kind of like okay some people will find me i don't know what that means <laughs> get attention um, thank you yes and it did though it started popping up like on websites all around the world um and within two weeks i had been contacted by six different literary agents and that was like very overwhelming um it's like so a very didn't have an agent before the book just put that into uh, the no, order, order for me I didn't have an agent when I was writing my blog. Oh, okay, mm. gotcha. So the blog and then being interviewed about that led to you being approached by agents. Yes. People will love hearing this story. Mm -hmm. So people then saying, do you want to turn this into a book? Like, this seems like a good idea for a book. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know, do I? <laughs> like, <laughs> you think this can be a book? Like, I don't know. Um, and I also really didn't know what to do with six agents contacting me, um, especially being Canadian and all of the agents happened to be in the States. So yeah. I had questions even around, can we even do that? <laughs> like, yeah. Can we work with agents in the States? So for that, I ended up reaching out to a friend of mine in Ottawa who had written one book at that point. Um, but I knew his agent was in New York. And so I said, like, ask him some basic questions um and he said oh i reached out to her she'd be happy to like answer any questions that you have around just numbers and logistics and like all those things like how it all works i'm like okay great i talked to her she gave me incredible advice um around the agents the number one thing that she said was take calls with everybody but she's like, right now you're probably in a position where you're just feeling like very lucky and grateful and she's like and like those are things to hold on to and your agent is someone that you would like, like try to imagine that you could get into a long-term relationship with them. Like who feels like you could work with them for five, 10, 15, 20 more years. And I'm, that sounded overwhelming, but I also, I do remember having this thought of like, okay, gut instinct, like yes. go for gut, not for whatever they right. say that they can do for you. Uh -huh. And, and then she said, though, if you don't like anyone, I'd work with you. <laughs> so I did. I, I took all the calls. It was so much easier that way because there were very clear yeses and nos of who I wouldn't want to have, I'd say, a long-term relationship with. And um, there was one other one, but ultimately Chris's agent was, she was the most down to earth. And I'm very like, just tell me how it is. My dad's a sailor. I don't use extra language. I'm so just like, I'm just here for a conversation. Please don't speak above me, please. Like, I just need to talk to someone like a regular human being. And she was amazing. And so mm. um, I then, uh, yeah, worked on the proposal, which is a beast. We went back and forth on it many times. Um, 
sold your first book to Hay House. We sold right? it to Hay House, yeah. And this is this stuff's always interesting. Like everyone who read it just said like no like various forms of rejection so she probably mm-hmm. sent it to 20 people and everyone said no mm-hmm. and hay house said yes and this stuff's always in hindsight but you're like well that's been good business for hay house because <laughs> like, that book has done surprisingly well well done hay house. yeah <laughs> so yep. and just and just that thing that like you only need one person to say yes like you only right. need one person to see your vision that's right um, but not so long after was- Hay House puts that out, your book sells like crazy. And then already it's only 2020. Your second book is out already. How quickly did things move for you after that? Mm-hmm. So the idea for adventures started forming, like, like I said, because of all the events that I was doing for the first book, mm-hmm. the idea started forming honestly in like the spring of 2018 I didn't tell my agent about it until November of 2018. I have this like very clear memory of being in New York city and seeing her and, and talking to her about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I, I, we sold the proposal around the end of March in 2019. So just over, yeah, just over a year after the year of less came out. Okay. There's nothing typical about that timeline. I hope you know that. I I don't know that, but there's this piece of me that wonders now if like blogging and doing online content for a long time keeps you in the mode of like constant creation. Mm-hmm. And there's this piece of me that wonders like, did I not know how to just like sit still? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did I not know how to just calm down? <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to hear Sandy speak to that, but there is nothing that makes book writing easy. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So whatever mm-hmm. you tell yourself, please remember to pat yourself on the back because anyone who turns out two manuscripts and fully publishes two books in the amount of time you did, it's extraordinary. It also means you have a wonderful team that believes in you. Yeah. And that was the thing with Little Brown Spark because like Hay House was great for the year of less. Um, But when Little Brown Spark, like when I talked to them about this idea, it was like their response to it was they saw something even bigger than I was seeing. Like they could sort of see a much bigger picture. I'm like just seeing a book Mm -hmm. and they sort of had this whole vision of, of where where it places you or how it helps you step in and help others. And, and just, they, they painted a picture that I wasn't even seeing, but when I saw it, I just thought like, you get it. That was the biggest thing for me was like that you fully get this idea. Um, And yeah, my editor there, Marissa was, she was just incredible. And the whole team has been like from day one. Um, Of course, like every publishing experience has, we have moments where you really have to fight for like what you want. Yep. <laughs> but, yes. but um there were also moments, yeah, where where Marissa would read something and she would just come back and say, like, I know what you're saying here. I want you to make sure that it's like right for what you really wanted to say here. Right. And Good. Uh, yeah, so I, I really lucked out. Like it was an incredible experience. So let alone the fact that it came out in COVID, but <laughs> that's that's not that's not something it's anyone's fault. That's literally just COVID. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about one thing I loved about your book that wasn't really um, in the content of your book, but it was your index. I love a good mm. index. And I, I, I was that your idea? Or no, so the really? index, was, yeah, the index was their idea. They said that they because they um, they publish a lot of like big idea books that would have say more research or um, yeah, just more things to be pointing back to for people. So they said we always do an index. Uh, we can scrap it if you want. And I just thought, yeah, keep it. <laughs> I love it. I'm so (laughs) glad. Yeah, It's one of those things that so many books could have and they don't. And I thought it was such a great thing to have. They're rarely, rarely done. And anything, unless it is truly nonfiction as opposed to memoir, not even the cross genre ones. um, I I think it came up as a question with my memoir, to be honest, because I wanted people to be able to, mine has a medical thread through it. And I wanted people to be able to find some medical details if they thought their child had my child's rare disease. And it wasn't something that was done. And I quickly realized if I just did that, my index would be sort of, 
of half a page long, but mm. it really is something we become kind of accustomed to, isn't it? That we can whip to the back and look to see where something is. And yeah, I like that very much that, um, that you had that little nuance there. I wondered if you fought for it, if it was one of those things you, you fought for. No, but, no. The, the cover was something I fought for. Really? Cover's fantastic. Really Thank enjoyed you. the cover. I mean, Thank who you. hasn't, who hasn't landed at one of those signposts where the distances are marked? And I often, I often wish I had one of those in my house. <laughs> where it was yeah. like number of steps to the kitchen <laughs> and number of, <laughs> but it would be my life, right? It would be number of steps to my future. And when was, when did something else happen? But yeah, the, how do we get a signpost in my house? <laughs> the, it made me wonder, and this is, it comes into our, the questions that we often wrapped up, up with is where are you going next? So I wondered if you are this prolific and by anyone's stretch, you are, are you living the book right now? That is your next book. Can I ask? Mm. Okay. So I have an idea for my next book. Um, it's still not, it's like, I don't have the structure. I have a title in my head and I think I have like the, the main thing that people would take from it, mm -hmm. but I, I don't have structure yet. So it's not formed, but it's the thing actually, Paul, um, Paul Jarvis and I were on the yep. phone uh, just a, a couple days ago and he asked me some questions of like, what are you working on? And I said, never done this before like I've always worked on the proposal when I had a really clear vision and I'm like I might do some writing to try and get into the proposal like so it's not it's not proposal writing yet but it's like something that will help me dig in and like figure out what the missing pieces are and like figure out the structure um mm. but I do think that there's oh gosh yes there are definitely things about it that I'm living right now <laughs> um and I would say that a lot of it uh, being around like being more intentional in our relationships I think that um, yeah it's it's something that I feel I have like some experience with and I'm also constantly now like putting new things into practice especially around communication um, trying to be more open in dialogue rather than closed there's, there's, so there's something in there um, that I'm living right now that would definitely be included. Well, I find that books tell us what they're going to be, right? So we never know what our next book will be. So, you know, everybody comes to me and says, so you put out like 12, 15 books with other people a year. You must be working on your next one already. And it's like, no, first of all, no time. And the next book decides what it's going to be and never on our timeline. And I know that Sandy would share the moans and groans with me on that one. We never know what our timeline is going to be. So we always come to the end of the podcast and it always comes sooner than we want. And we ask some questions, one of which is what you're working on next. And you gave us a sneak peek, but I'm going to substitute a question here rather than say, what, what are you working on next? I'm going to say, do you have another opt in in the process, opt out in the process? Mm. Uh, I do. Although um, I don't know that it's like a full opt out because it's not, changing a ton of things about my life um it's sort of like I'm I'm adding a little bit of something to see where it goes so I kind of want to guess but I okay. don't have a guess like I want to guess but uh you're adding something not taking anything away uh um buying a something other than a car you're going to try another form of transportation Oh, no, but I did actually buy a bike during COVID. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, tiny house a, or something. Oh, yeah. Tiny no, I actually, house? I bought a bike okay. off Paul, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go. Paul uh, famous. Well, because the whole world bought bikes, so they're literally impossible to find. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but Paul didn't want his anymore and sold it to me for a few hundred bucks. It was great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if you want to reveal your opt-out, your next opt-out, we'll premiere it here and boast about it. Yeah, I'm actually going back to school. Oh, oh fantastic. Wow. Now, not, oh. not full time. I'm just taking two classes at the University of Victoria. Great. Um, but it was like, I, I think that, like, first of all, this is literally because COVID is making it possible. I have no interest in, like, even still with COVID, I don't have any interest in sort of setting up a home base here. 
I, okay. I, that Victoria does not feel like the place that I want to be long term, at least at least not yet. That's not what I'm feeling. Um, mm-hmm. But COVID, because everything is online right now, it just makes it possible to take a couple right. of classes because I can do them on my own terms. Like I have to sign in and watch lectures, sure. but the rest Fair of enough. it is on my terms. Wow. And that, that's how I finished my um, undergrad before I finished it through Royal Roads and did everything online. Great. And uh, so it'll just be, yeah, just kind of exploring. I'm taking psychology classes. Oh, and I'm just going to see, see where it goes. And maybe I'll, literally my thought is maybe I'll take two classes and I'll never take another one again. Right. Um, or I'll really enjoy it. And then the, I have this thought of like, what if I'm, yeah, taking one or two classes on the side kind of all the time? until Mm. I am like working towards something. Yeah. And then you'll decide what you're working towards. I love that, that you're going to, it's an opt out, but it's an add on as well. I love that. So in the wrap up questions that are more typical of us, first one is, do you have a favorite memoir that you can recommend or talk about? Mm. Oh my gosh. How do you not list like a (laughs) hundred? You you can. (laughs) Um. For some reason, the one that stands out mm-hmm. is Blackout by Sarah Heppola. I don't know that one. It is her journey, actually not even with sobriety yet. It is truly her, her blackouts are like um, sort of the depths of her alcohol addiction. Okay. It is, yeah. She, you travel with her on it. You are home with her in it. it. It's just, it really stands out for for me, especially too when people ask me if I have any resources on yeah. Um, yeah. addiction or on drinking. I mean, there are a lot of things available, and actually, there are some newer books in that genre, like that have that right? come out the past couple of years. But Sarah's really stands out for me, and it feels like one that not enough people know about. But Sarah's actually like she was um, for a period there. She was writing a lot like for slate and really new york times it's somewhere else well, I, I appreciate that recommendation i know that our listeners will too we we love that right we get a lot of asks later on about books that uh, get recommended by authors because i think a lot of people are surprised to find out that writers are incredibly voracious readers as well right i always say we have to fill the tank with something do you um do you have a book that you recommend more than any other book when people say, what are you reading or what do you recommend? Do you have a recommendation? Kind of depends on what people are asking for. I think that this year has been interesting for me. I have actually found that I've read mostly fiction this year. Really? Which, which is, uh, I don't know if that's COVID. <laughs> I don't know if it's like <laughs> needing a little less real life. <laughs> like, Fair a enough. A little more story. Um so yeah, this year I have loved, um, actually the first book I read this year was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor okay. Jenkins Reid. Yes, I've heard of that one. And I read Taylor it in three Jenkins days. Reed. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. and probably could have read it faster, but was like, I don't know, doing some other things like editing. <laughs> I love it. Is there a um, book that you go back to that you reread yourself? Like if you've got mm-hmm. a long time resource manual for life kind of book in your world? Um, one I've listened to many times is Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Um, I think especially because you wouldn't necessarily know it when you see the book itself, but I think their reading is only four or five hours. Like it's not actually that long. Yeah. So it's almost like listening to a few episodes of a podcast. So true, right? But there's so much in it. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. You really listen feeling like you're just talking to a friend about creativity. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's probably a biggest one. At the risk of wrapping up far sooner than I would like to, or Sandy <laughs> would like to, where can folks find out more about you, connect with you? I know you mentioned Instagram, but how else do you operate out there in the universe for strangers to find you when we can't meet you in a bookstore? Oh gosh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, Instagram is the best place. And it's certainly like a place I actually still really enjoy. So meaning I genuinely enjoy like messages like replying to comments having conversations Uh um but I have also I I will not say I've gone back to blogging so I stopped blogging in 2018 and I won't say that I'm fully back in it but I've I've noticed in 2020 I've been craving 
I think kind of the easiness or the simplicity of old school blogging. Okay. Yeah. You didn't have to. Yeah, like you didn't have to go super in depth or have like these intense opinions on things. You didn't have to always have a video. You didn't have to have audio or some kind of magical unicorn feature to it. Yes. Yes, you could just share now, like these. Is there something like that on your week. website? Do you have yeah. you have that kind of? Can you point people to your website and then maybe people can read more of you? Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit on um, just kateflanders.com. So everything's very simple. Kate Flanders across the board. <laughs> Kate Flanders across the board. And spelling is C-A-I-T, everyone. That will help you find Kate. So I'm going to wrap up for both of us and say thank you so much for everything today. Mm-hmm. And we had a little bit of a technical challenge at the end. So thanks for being patient with us on that. It's all good. Compassion. Looking forward to, <laughs> looking forward to, your, looking forward to your next book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This is really nice. Thank you for a great Aww. chat. Thanks for listening to Reframe Your Life. We had quite a few technical difficulties on that call. And the last five minutes or so, Patty really had to carry things because I could not get my Zoom to work at all. It just froze on my laptop. So thank you, Patty, for doing that. And thank you, Kate, for being so patient with us. This is the last episode of Reframe Your Life for a little while. We are going on hiatus. Patty and I both have projects that we have deadlines for that we want to focus on in the next few months. And at some point in the future, Reframe Your Life will be back. The best way to find out about upcoming episodes is to subscribe to my newsletter, sandyreynolds.com, or subscribe to Reframe Your Life, and you'll get every episode automatically delivered to your podcast app. 